John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. have accessed entry 539.EP0607, certificate number 21182, The Goodwill Games. The 1986 Goodwill Games, the world's premier sports spectacular, live from Moscow, July 5th through the 20th. The greatest athletes from the United States, the Soviet Union, and around the world will compete to determine the very best. I don't want to alarm you, John, but are you aware that the Olympics are in crisis? (laughs) How many times a day do you think about the crisis in the Olympic movement? Well, it's funny because a month ago I would say it's a not- negligible number of of times a day you mean because we're recording this in the spring and the winter olympics just happened yes did you watch any of the beijing games i did although as uh, as is probably true of you i found it hard to find a way to watch the games and i guess when we were kids and it, they were just on television and that was your option it was way easier you, you knew when they were on and you watched them you didn't need a peacock login and now it, it was just one login after another we tried to watch it on youtube and it was the interfaces were so confusing the it wasn't clear what the schedule was even and um you just gave up and watched the jeopardy a, national college tournament <laughs> eventually yes Eventually I gave up and, you know, I'm a downhill skier and I love watching the downhill skiing. There are a lot of new sports within that sport, freestyle and all the snowboarding and. How many ways are there to ski down a hill? Come on. Apparently a lot. And when when I was a kid, we only had regular G. Now there's super super G. G. That's, that's way more G. I was a ski racer when super G was introduced and we were all really excited by it because it did. Because you just had original recipe G. It did fill a gap, you know. And I was good at Super G because I was big and I could go fast. But downhill is terrifying. It is a terrifying sport. Um, you're going so fast and you're so out of control. Really out of control. But I feel like not well conveyed on TV for those of us who are not downhill skiers. Oh, I don't know. I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't know if I really sense the... Uh, when I see somebody skiing downhill, I guess I, I remember a clip where somebody's absolutely got a like have the best run of his life. And so he's taking all these chances and you can tell it's, yeah. it's very precarious. But in general, if it's not the ski jump, I, I'm like, eh, he's just getting to the bottom. The ski jump is actually safer, I'm sure. <gasps> really? By a long shot. I mean, I think, the, I think the gold medal winner in any downhill event is, is going at the very edge of what you can do. 
It's it's but Super G is like feels more in control. It feels more like I don't know. It just felt like a more badass sport. But I'm telling you, if you don't know the sport, if you don't have the muscle memory of the wind in your hair, yeah, you're just watching. You're just watching Swedes go down mountains. It's not. It's not visceral for us. When I was when I was in high school, I was racing downhill, and uh, one of my skis pre-released, and I didn't know it. And it just means that the that's ski em- came that, off. That's embarrassing. Oh, like it actually came off the, the boot? No. The, yeah. Well, yeah. The ski went away because I was I was making a a big turn, and I'm only on one ski, right? I'm on the pre-release. I'm, seems like a nice way to say that. Oh yeah. It's a it's it is a euphemism. Uh, but I, you know, I was on one ski and my other ski came off and I was so focused, you know, on my line that I didn't notice. And then when I went to change my, to that foot. when I went, yeah, to make the next turn, my boot went into the snow and I, I cartwheeled and, and, uh, if you could have done the whole thing on one ski, if you had known, if I'd known, I would have kept going. <laughs> no, uh, I, and it was a real yard sale and I ended up, you know, I, it was only in. It was only a tree that stopped me from continuing down the hill, which is not the best. You know, that's what killed Sonny Bono. That same tree? Same tree. That's crazy. It goes from resort to resort. That's my bucket list is to, <laughs> is to wipe out into the same tree that killed Sonny Bono. No. That's, I hope they put that tree down the way they do when a, when a wolf or a bear eats a man. Nope. It runs. It's, a, it's the fastest tree in the West. But anyway, I, so I had a very frustrating time watching the Olympics and uh, – you know, and I love the the competitive figure skating. Everybody's so talented now, and just so over the top. Uh, but I couldn't, I couldn't bear the the difficulty. I mean, I couldn't overcome, couldn't get through the. You're a, a man of a certain age, and you want rabbit ears. I just want to see the Olympics. You know, like show me the Olympics every night. Don't make me go through all this dumb stuff. But there are a lot of problems in getting, uh, I mean, the time zones alone are always a challenge nowadays. You know, in the, in the past, the network could just put something on that was 16 hours old and you'd have no idea if you were seeing live volleyball or not. Right. Today, everyone's aware that, um, you know, they saw those results on their phone, you know, at 6 a.m. But, you know, you kind of don't care. Like, who cares who wins? You want to see the the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing... I mean, we, we come from an era where nobody did care, but I think people today might care more. Like, yeah. isn't something lost for you when you, uh, when you already know, uh, the Americans are not going to meddle here. People want to see the results these days. And I think results mattered to us. It was always fun to be surprised. You want long clip packages about whose, whose mom has overcome cancer. Well, but, and I want to see the, the, the favored, uh, you know, the favored competitor lose uh, because I, you know, want to know why, like what happened? How did they, how did they balk? Common American complaint about the, all the storylining that, uh, the American networks do. Have you heard people say, Oh, just here's how you pirate BBC or CBC use a, use a, some kind of proxy server. And you know, I'm already behind six proxies. Well, then you can easily see the, uh, the personality lists, no adoption or cancer story, Canadian version of the Olympics. But I, but I, that's what I like. I'm like, oh, that guy's adopted? Oh, now I want him to win. The problem with being behind six proxies for me is that I can't log into my computer anymore. I don't know how to get there. It's behind. You know, I get through five proxies and I can't get through the sixth. You're screaming at your Mac. <laughs> I'm a sovereign citizen. It was, you were not alone. Many people could not find the Beijing Olympics or did not care to. Ratings were at an all-time low. Yeah. The Winter Olympics have structurally always been a bit of a problem for the Olympic movement. Which I hate. It's so infuriating. What is so good about running 
that it's better than you know than people risking right. their lives on a on a half pipe. The uh, the big sports that Americans pay good money to watch, like javelin, basketball, oh, golf, and right. tennis. These are all these are all summer sports. That um, sucks. And well, the I mean, the problem is not really us because uh, you know Americans actually in general do like to watch hockey and Luge. curling and uh, and like you say, figure skating. I mean, these can be these can be big record nights if, especially if one of the skaters has just hit the other skater with a two by four. That, well, and that we're can set trying a record. To, you know what? It's because we're still trying to defeat the Russians. Yeah, hockey, I, figure skating. I mean, relative to Canadians, we do not care about all these frigid sports. Relative to the Finns, we're probably a little apathetic. We'd rather watch the Super Bowl. But in general, like the Winter, the Winter Olympics are not a hard sell for us. But unfortunately, it's a problem in the Olympic movement because half the countries of the world don't. Oh, I, I mean, see. You know, there's like nine countries that actually have the facilities to host this stuff. And right. literally a hundred countries that don't play them, don't field teams, don't care. But you remember when the Italian curling team... You like, can stop that sentence now because no, I do not. <laughs> I don't know what they did. Unless they got, unless their plane crashed in the Andes and they had to eat each other. I do not remember what the Italian curling team The did. Italians won the gold in mixed doubles in curling. Was this an insane upset? It's incredible. I didn't even know the Italians had, I mean, I'm a fan of curling. I did not know the Italians could field a curling team. But then you realize, you know, the Italians have a, have a northern alpine sure. Part of All those guys country. up by Milan and Torino and Pisa. Yeah. Just sweeping big gnocchi across the ice. But they they beat Norway. Is this the is this the Jamaican bobsled team of curling? It is. And I was I watched it, you know, I was avid. And of course, you know, they're Italians, so they're very they're very attractive. Uh, you know, and it's not that I don't think Norwegians are attractive, but but you don't, you know, you're not expecting like Italians because they were, you know, they were throwing pizza and stuff. Yeah, what Italians do? It was like Sofia Loren. Hey, hey, uh, that's a mozzarella. Were they really saying that? No, 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 no. They were very dignified. Uh, what if What if every time they had a good little curling push or sweep, whatever you call it, they were like, that's a spicy meatball. <laughs> but I was thrilled. I was thrilled. It was an upset and... uh and you wouldn't think, but you're absolutely right. It's hard to have, it's hard to have a Winter Olympics in um, Egypt. The, even you know these particular Olympics were more trouble than even your regular low audience, low appeal Winter Olympics. You know, with all the structural, difficult, logistical difficulties of trying to put on a a Winter Games in a world that largely does not care about winter sport, and they couldn't find anybody to host it. Oh, the only two cities are increasingly resistant to uh, putting together Olympic bids because the taxpayer always takes it on the chin, particularly the Winter Olympics, which tend to cost about as much as a summer with a fraction of the of the TV contract size and viewership. It's funny because uh, cities seem really anxious to give eight hundred million dollars to us to a football stadium to get a new, <laughs> you, got, you know, you got to get a new stadium. But again, that all gets passed on to the taxpayer as well. Even even though the billionaire that owns the team could easily pick up the tab. The thing that's funny is that after the original Olympics in Athens, there was no Olympics that wasn't in either Northern Europe or the United States until the Tokyo Olympics. And then all Northern Europe. Tokyo's, or, Tokyo's what, 64? Well, no, the, the, the first one, I guess, there oh, was. Oh, the one that got canceled. The one that got canceled. Got it. And so then it was the United States and Northern Europe until 64 in Tokyo. 
and then, oh, Mexico City in 68. Um, that introduced the idea that it could be the, the, anywhere but <laughs> in Garmisch Partenkirchen. I mean, or that's Lake exactly Placid. the idea that sports happen in places like Grenoble that could have a Winter Olympics. Right, but then um, yeah, so we've got Korea. Why would you go someplace exotic like Tokyo or Mexico City when you could have an Olympiad in St. Louis, Missouri, John? Greece. Right here where we live in St. Louis. So the only Olympics ever. Not in the Northern Hemisphere was in Brazil. Uh, there was, don't, are you counting Melbourne and Sydney? Melbourne? Oh, we, we get in trouble when we don't say Melbourne. You're absolutely right. Melbourne the, 56 was the first Southern Hemisphere The one. Anzac ones, but you know, you kind of. Who wants a summer Olympics in, in uh, January anyway? Come yeah. on. Come on, Melbourne. <laughs> Give me a break. Um, but yeah, like as far as global South Olympics, not so much. Never been one in Africa. Nope. Rio's the only one in, uh, in, uh, well, South of Mexico city, I guess. In Never America. been one really in, um, in central Asia, Southeast Asia. Not a single Antarctic Olympics. No, nope. There was very, You'd think uh, uh, India would be able to host an Olympics quite successfully. There was very nearly a central Asian Olympics just now, uh, of the two bids for the 2022 winter Olympics. Um, one was from Almaty, Kazakhstan, the, the, the major city of Kazakhstan, which again, unstable dictatorship, just kind of trying to do a ego trip. Yeah. And China, Beijing, China, stable dictatorship working on an ego trip. Mm-hmm. And so nobody was thrilled about giving a winter Olympics to Beijing, a city that has neither snow nor mountains. Right. Um, but that's, they're capable of building fake mountains. That's the thing. Fake mountains, fake snow. And, and what, what, who can, the question is who can put in just you know, $13 billion worth of infrastructure to have a lose track that nobody's going to use. That's going to, nobody's going to use, you know, that's I why. I beg your pardon. Look at the Year round luge is one of my, <laughs> it's so ridiculous you're even big, to say. You're, you're a big YRL fan. <laughs> but I mean, you've seen, have you seen the pictures of like the, I mean, Sarajevo is a particular case because yeah. that's a loose track that got bombed. But in general, the world is full of overgrown Olympic facilities because nobody, you know, no country not in, you know, eight cities worldwide needs to put that much money into its skating rink infrastructure. Yeah, I feel like up at Whistler, there's a luge track that gets used, but I think it might get used for mountain biking. <laughs> Pyeongchang, South Korea does not need high-speed rail, and yet they have it today because all this infrastructure had to go in to host uh, 110 countries or whoever comes to the Winter Olympics. So it's less appealing for cities. Ratings are down for various reasons, including in this case, the host, uh, you know, the West was not particularly excited to see a, uh, uh, you know, China, uh, kind of a newly belligerent and insular and Taiwan threatening China shake its fist on the world stage. Although China hosted it in 2008, but a very different vibe. That was kind of a seemingly more open Chinese communist party. This was the beginning of something. They did a lot of synchronized dancing to open the show. And let me, let's, let's admit China's as good as synchronized dancing today as it was in 2000. Every bit is good. Yeah. But the, the, the climate of the party seems very different. Yeah. Tensions quite are right. higher. And Why hasn't Seattle ever hosted an, a winter Olympics? We'd be perfect for it. We are going to, I mean, are we though? All that wet pass all that wet snow 90 miles away i've only ever skied on super wet snow so i don't i don't remember that it's so different (laughs) in the mountains the real problem with the beijing games was the doping um yes russia had to field some kind of quasi not russian team just because they had been peeing through holes in walls um for 
years to get around regulations. And somehow even their fake team was full of dope. Oh, absolutely. They, they still had somebody, they still had the, the same glory hole technology that got them here. Um, <laughs> but for P in this yeah, case. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Glory holes, but, but for P is what the, is the technical term. Although I think in New York in the 70s, you could have found those too. <laughs> and it all depends on what you're into. So between all the scandals and all the kind of logistical problems that are now starting to rear their heads and just shrinking TV ratings for everything... Do you think that there's less interest in nations yeah. competing against one another? I think that's absolutely what it is. Well, you know, it's it's the same problem as when TV went from three things on to a hundred things on. You know, when you're when you wake up in a world where you are told as received wisdom that the Olympics are the biggest thing, that's that's our childhoods, and we watched every right. event, and we were so excited. Leroy Neiman uh, painted painted placemats at McDonald's. Like Leroy Neiman painting Mark Spitz and trying to make him look sexy. I had all of those placemats. (laughs) But when you're, you know, when you're not in that world, when you have 150 other entertainment options in your pocket, suddenly you ask yourself, how much do I want to watch tape delayed badminton right now? But don't you still want to see France defeated? <laughs> I mean, isn't that still a thing the, that globally is true that everyone wants to see wants to see France get it handed to them? I wonder or? if it's kind of the decline of patriotism in general. You know, among right thinking Americans, there's something a little off about all that raw, raw, red, white, and blue stuff. But even among nationalists and and fascists, they don't want to see the global aspect of the Olympics. Right. They don't want to see the the doves and the olive branch or risk. Being, you know, at risk actually losing. Losing to them. And the blue states don't want to, you know, think there's something a little right, the, off-putting about all the NBC packages about how we're going to defeat the... And you're right, there's no good bad guy except the French. Right. And yeah, you're right. All of the all of the West Coast liberals don't like hearing the national anthem played that much. But Seattle has hosted, not an Olympics, but an awful off-brand Olympics. Oh, I remember... Oh, you- barely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like, you know, even in the Seattle Times sports page, I'm sure it was like 6A. <laughs> no, wait, sport, what was sport, 6C? 6C, yeah. I never I never got that far. When I realized I was in the sports section, I kept going. When, you, you know, somewhere after the baseball box scores and the Tacoma Rainiers versus Eugene Emeralds highlights, uh, I'm sure they had what was going on in Husky Stadium in 1990 when Seattle hosted the Goodwill Games, but the you subject of today's show. You weren't here then, were you? I was here that summer. Uh, um, 1990, I would have been mm-hmm, in high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I spent the summers in Seattle, and I have zero cultural, well, not zero, but I have very little cultural memory of the Goodwill Games existing at all, which is what makes it such a perfect omnibus topic. When when Jack, our, our, uh, our supporter, suggested this idea, along with a few others, I thought, Yes. I think what he said was 1980s Olympics knockoffs or off-brand Olympics or something. There were more than the Goodwill Games? I mean, kind of. Um, There are a bunch of other world multi-sport competitions that are not Olympics. Do you have, are any of them on your radar? Yeah, the World Cup in skiing is arguably the competition. Sure. I mean, every sport has one, but I mean a big multi-sport thing. Oh. Where there's skiing and curling or there's archery and yachting. Uh, do you are any of these on your radar or pan american games exactly some are regional like the u.s plays in the pan american games when i you know i was living in seoul in 88 when korea hosted the olympics and that was its big did you go it's big moment yeah i went to a few different events um 
and saw the rest on TV. I've and never saw been. Ahmad Rashad uh, like three blocks from my house doing a stand-up for NBC Sports. I've I'd never been. When when the Olympics were in Calgary, I was in Spokane, and it was possible to sure. you know make the road trip. And I I think I was just like what I you know I put my bong down for a second. I was like whoa. But two years before Korea hosted the Olympics, they had been awarded the Asian Games, which is kind of the continental games for Asia. I think because they already had, you know, they were already building the infrastructure. Why not get it done two years, get the stadiums done two years sooner? And, uh, right, right. And had the, so that's when I first became aware that there were all these little regional sub-Olympics, the Caribbean Games and the, the South American Games and so forth. Can you imagine if the Asian Games were held in South America and the South American Games were held in Asia? Just as a prank? I just feel like... As a bit? Why not? I mean, it's a global economy. <laughs> the uh, Some of them are language-based, believe it or not. Oh. There's a francophone games. If you were ever wondering if um, <laughs> if Sierra Leone could defeat uh-huh. French Guiana. Right. Tahiti against... At, uh, at skeet shooting. So, so uh, against Quebec. There's a uh, Lucifone games, by the way. A lot of these have recently been... If you look all these up, you find it's very sad. A lot of them have recently been been canceled for the pandemic. Like the, the Mozambique Lucifone games... May get rescheduled, may get relocated in, in Sao Tome, or they may not. I mean, hard to say what the way forward is for our great um, Portuguese-speaking athletes. Yeah, I feel like there's, I feel like Portugal hasn't yet really gotten their comeuppance for their colonial misadventures. I feel like the Lucifone games, so they're, they're going to turn. What are you going to gonna go stage a, yeah. some kind of a uh, attack on the Lucifone games? <laughs> but then it'll it won't be in it won't be in the perpetrator's living room. It won't be in the the master's house in Lisbon or whatever. Like all these the games are always going to be in Recife, Brazil, or or right or, or somewhere Angola. else in Brazil <laughs> <laughs> or elsewhere in Brazil. Yeah, Brazil must clean up at the loser. Can you imagine a, a, a athletic competition where it's Brazil versus basically Portugal, Angola, Mozambique, and Goa, India? I mean, who's going to ever beat Brazil at any sport, right? <laughs> it does feel like they have a lock on some sports. And I bet the Brazil TV deal is what keeps is what keeps the Lucifone games going. Sometimes it's historical allegiances, like famously the Commonwealth Games. Are you aware oh, yeah. of that? I remember Commonwealth Games. I was wondering, is the Commonwealth Games going to survive all these Caribbean countries um, disaffiliating from the Queen? But but how many countries... We talked about this on the cricket episode like basically, you can dissolve the Commonwealth, but there's still the Commonwealth of cricket countries, right? Right, and if you're if you're the sports looking, federations outlast the yeah. If you're looking for someone to play cricket against, you cannot, you cannot, you know, the Bahamas aren't going to be able to say, well, we're we're on our own now. As long as TV viewers want a Commonwealth Games, you're right. right. Belize is going to keep playing uh, uh, Kenya, but we don't know how long that's going to last. There's also the Bolivarian Games, which is only for countries, not just in South America, but countries that were liberated by Simone Bolivar. Really? There's yeah. a whole set of games. From Panama all the way to Ecuador. <laughs> and do they do like uh, Simon Bolivar themed events? Sadly, no. Oh. I think they just do soccer and fencing and all the boring multi-sport. They don't Olympic like stuff. march on one another? There is a set of games, just to jump ahead to one of the weirder ones, there is a set of games that only does sports that are not in the Olympics. The, oh, cool. the World Games, which began in 1981 in beautiful Santa Clara, California, only uh, compete athletes only compete in sports that are not in the Olympics. And as soon as the Olympics pick up uh, taekwondo or bowling or whatever it is, it gets dropped from the World Games. So, like like hoeing a field or 
Some of them are very much more like activities than sports. There's a breakdancing medal. Huh. There's a miniature golf medal at the World Games. Okay. The, I, I mean, the I 2020... this. Let's see. The 2022 games were are going to be in Birmingham, England this July. So maybe we should go. Birmingham. And uh, Chengdu, China has already been awarded the 2025 World Games. Where you know, all, So all these non-Olympic sports and sports in quotes, sumo, orienteering, parkour, uh, kickboxing, weirdly, American football. Oh, sure. Not an Olympic sport, but um, but certainly one that other countries are welcome to attempt. Well, baseball too, or is that an Olympic sport now? Uh, baseball is at least, I think it exhibition. was an exhibition. I think now it might be a medal sport. The most recent were uh, the most recent world games in Wrocław, Poland. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. The former Breslau, uh, the United States bronzed in American football. Believe it or don't lost to both Germany and France. Those <laughs> gridiron powerhouses. I was trying to explain to my daughter the other day how you could, judge parkour and how you could win at parkour is it by not falling off the building like moon knight it must be style points right i mean and and she because she's fascinated like what is parkour and i was like well have you watched a movie i mean i don't let her see any movies that have parkour in it just by just because they also because they also tend to have swearing and sex or just to avoid no corrupting the youth with parkour it just feels like anytime you see parkour, it's also going to be... Daniel Craig's on a roof. Yeah. He's, there's also going to be... I personally love the sport, but um, but as I was trying to explain it to her, I was like, well, it's about going through town unconventionally. She was like... <laughs> you mean on a bus? What? <laughs> uh, but I love that it's a... That it's a um, like proto Olympic sports. So, so those world games, did they also used to have some of these sports that have only just recently appeared in Olympics? Yeah. Like a rhythm, you know, uh, once rhythmic gymnastics left the Olympics, they're back here. Um, trampoline trampolining was a thing before the Olympics adopted it. I'm trying to see other sports that have been moved rugby oh. before the Olympics got it. Olympics the, have rugby now. The triathlon. The tug of war since the Olympics dropped it. <laughs> tug of war has not been an Olympic sport since 1920 and only a squid Ooh. game sport since 2021. Um, the uh, Oh, wait a minute. X Games. How am I not right. thinking of X Games? Right. So some of them have different kinds of sports, like the X Games. By the way, there was a big, getting back to the Bolivarian Games for one more second, there was a big uh, to-do a few years ago over whether Chile could enter, even though they were they're from the same region. But not. But freed by Bernardo O'Higgins, not Simone Bolivar. And it would be harder to have a O'Higginsian games games, because it would just be Chile. And so did they let Chile Chile has been allowed. Oh, that's nice. The uh, uh, early Soviet bloc, I mean, before there was a Soviet bloc, there was a socialist games called the Spartakiad. Uh We've talked on the show, I think, before about how uh, the world communist movement loves Spartacus. Bolsheviks be. Yeah. Be loving Spartacus. Yeah, for sure. So they had a Spartakiad. He's completely uh, consistent with Marxism. He's a slave that rose up. Yeah. And then he was protected by the, the masses who rose up to uh, pretend to be him. Often these games are for communities. Uh, that's why there's a Paralympic Games and a Special Olympics. But also, less famously, there's a Gay Games. I um, did not know that. Not on NBC, I'm guessing. No. Um, I, I, the Gay Games must be televised. They're probably on... Uh, uh, Logo or out or some network I'm making up. Um, what, what's the, uh-huh. what, what are the what are the, the LGBT TV networks? Uh, I would love to watch the gay games. 
I wonder if they're on TV. I mean, I'm sure you can stream them now. The last gay games were in Paris in 2018. Oh, Hong Kong, Guadalajara in 2020. They do seem to be kind of in places where you'd want to have a fun, you know, the Palm Springs, uh-huh. the Palm Fire Springs Island. gay games, the Fire Island gay games. Um, so, so they are, there's a summer and a winter uh, gay games? No, apparently not. They are all in, <laughs> they're all in warm weather climes. <laughs> That's too bad. Oh, I say they're all in fun gay destinations. No, the 2014 Gay Games in Cleveland, Akron, where you could not pay any, any of my gay friends to vacation. <laughs> you can have fun in Akron. You go, you know, the, the Goodyear blimp. It goes up, it goes down. There's a Maccabia Games for Jewish athletes worldwide, mm-hmm. uh, which usually in Tel Aviv, Israel, and now seems to be, always be in Jerusalem, maybe in a sign of, maybe in a political statement. Uh, Why the, is it not in uh, in White Springs? Yeah, Queens. Uh, there's the World Masters Games uh, for athletes of a certain age. Middle, okay. <laughs> it's like the um, what the seniors tour, I guess. But but the age depends on the sport, and in some cases, it's as low as 25 would be your age minimum. Well, you know, there was a, always a seniors ski league in where, where I grew up, and the seniors uh, was this. It was awesome to watch because they were all these guys that had kind of. Uh, aged out of of whatever ussa and they were sometimes incredible skiers you know that just were in their 40s and it's not it seems like skiing you could you'd you'd hold up pretty well relative to say the 100 meter dash here's the thing my dad kept ski racing into his 80s and he kept competitively, you know, uh, like entering these races. And because he was in his 80s, he was in an age bracket that only had a couple of people. Um, and so he consistently won first place in his age bracket in the race. And they awarded him a gold medal each time. <clears throat> and so by the time he stopped skiing, he had a very large box full of gold medals and ski trophies. And I inherited them when he died. And I don't know what to do with them because I don't want to take this box of gold medals to the, to the thrift store. I felt like when I was King Neptune that I should have just put them all, all these meaningless seniors. So I looked like a North Korean general, but they all had pictures of skis on them and it wouldn't have really, See if there's a summer vibe. Yeah, it wouldn't have withstood the uh, close scrutiny of the world press. So I don't know what to do with them. I, you know, I for a while I thought I would send one each to my Patreon subscribers. Maybe we should do it here. (laughs) Send them to the omnibus. Like if you give at the very old skier level, (laughs) everybody gets one. The bristlecone pine tier. Hey, at eighty, your dad's probably older, possibly than the pine tree that killed Sonny Bono. He's a KG veteran. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. He, he well, he can he, outsmart that tree. He escaped the tree. <laughs> I'm now reading up on the gay games. Instead of hay torch, they have a flame, which is that, um, I don't know if that's in very good taste. I mean, how much of it is in is tongue in cheek? The games are open to all who wish to participate oh, without regard to sexual orientation. That's very, that's very open. Sure, you would feel uh, weird about like making somebody prove anything right how would that even work i mean at the at the maccabia games and the world masters games maybe there's options but 
little tricky at the at the gay games. But this does kind of short circuit my idea for kind of an awful throwback regressive '80s comedy about an athlete who's not good enough for the Olympics and decides to uh, to pull a Jack Tripper and uh, and pretend to be gay to enter the gay game. I feel like that might be a scene in Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> it's true like, that all, which doesn't really make do, it to the present day. Do you remember when all hit comedies had to have at minimum six or seven terrible gay or trans panic jokes? For sure. Yeah. And we were all just like, oh, I guess that's how movies are. Well, and also there was always at least one Asian character who right. was played by Mickey Rooney. It was not a good time. But I feel like you could re- you could make the gay games movie today, but, but it would have the athlete coming around at the end. You know, you could do you these there could be an Israeli movie about a a a, a goyish athlete that who pretends to be Jewish to get into the Maccabi games and then he loses his anti-Semitism. Oh, that's a good idea. Or the athlete here who comes to love the fun gay scene in in Cleveland Akron. Right. He joins because he's a because he really hates He couldn't get he's homo here's how it works. He's homo, he's some homophobic jock. He couldn't yeah. get in the Olympics. He he accidentally maybe enters the gay games like that boat trip movie. Okay, there's an accidentally, or there might be a thing where he needs to win a medal in order yes. to in order to to inherit his uncle's his inherit, fortune. His uncle's fortune, exactly. <laughs> but his un- it's his uncle that's a homophobe. That's right. Right. And then at the end, he has to stand up to his homophobic uncle because he's made friends with all the that's right. with all the cool he's LGBT got it, athletes. But, but the problem with that is that implying that only a straight guy could win at the gay Olympics. Right. right. Well, so there definitely has to be a scene where they're all amazing athletes and they really need to help him. Like oh, without, so- without their, you know, not just queer, all, all their queer eye coaching, like he becomes metal worthy at the gay games. Yeah. Okay. I think you could do this and stay on the right side of it. I feel like it. Somebody listening to this needs to write that screenplay. Pitch this with Will Ferrell's a little too old for it, but the games get weirder even than the world games. There are the island games for countries that happen to be islands. Oh, so any island. Yes, Bermuda can face off against the... Madagascar. Most of them tend to be European islands, although, you know, that seems to be just for cultural reasons. There's no reason why Fiji, I think, couldn't enter the island games. But really, um, the, who cleans up here seems to be like the Channel Islands. The, the Jersey and the Isle of Man have more gold medals than than any of their, you know, any of the entrants from Malta... Iceland enters Prince Edward Island. This appears to be kind of a Commonwealth game for athletes who are from little islands. Oh, and the Scandinavian islands like uh, Fruja, Norway, and Gotland, Sweden, do very well. I feel like this is ridiculous. Yes, that that, that, that the correct. Channel Islands could could clean up. Is it? Uh, are the competitions like have your own dialect? <laughs> the island of Jersey, the Crown Dependency of Jersey, has five hundred ninety three gold medals lifetime at the island games. Whereas Iceland, an actual country, has only 50. Malta, an actual country, has only six. I don't believe that this is a real game. Rhodes entered three or four times and did fairly well. I feel like New Zealand could enter, but do we consider Australia an island? Nowhere in the Southern Hemisphere appears to enter. Bermuda is the closest thing to even a Caribbean nation. We need to jump on this island games thing and, and start uh, raising a fuss and say, no, it should be all yeah. islands. And if you don't have steel drums... Maybe you're not a great island. Cuba, I think, is good. Cuba gonna... would win every... Can you imagine the Cuban marathoner against the island of Jersey top finisher, who is just some wiry 51-year-old uh, letter carrier? Right. You know, I, uh, I've i been trying to build an art collection for myself um, because, you know, not only is art a wonderful thing to have around the house um, as a decorative element, but it's also, it can end up being a great investment. And 
for somebody like myself, the only option traditionally has been that I meet young artists at street fairs and uh, at local art schools, and I buy their paintings really cheap when they're young, and then hope against hope that they became they become a new Basquiat, and then all of a sudden I'm one of those people that bought like a Monet when he was a struggling artist. That hasn't worked for me so far. My art collection really right now is mostly old mad magazines in picture frames, but there's a new, uh, there's a new concept in, uh, in art ownership where like blue chip art is being offered like fractional ownership is being offered by a company called masterworks where you can invest in an actual Picasso or a Banksy or a Basquiat at a price point that is accessible to you. So you, you end up with a fractional ownership of a painting that, as you've seen, surely, if you follow the art market as closely as I do, uh, in times of tremendous inflation, in times where the economy is going off the rails, sometimes the art market is one that responds surprisingly consistently or maybe unexpectedly well. So Masterworks... This is this incredible story. In October 2020, Masterworks sold Mona Lisa, not that Mona Lisa, but one by Banksy, for $1.5 million, but had sold it to Masterworks investors the prior October for $1,039,000, netting investors a 32% net annualized return on their investment. This is a really intriguing thing, and uh, and as somebody that you know that wants to build an art portfolio, but also wants to diversify my financial portfolio. Right now, almost all of my savings is in nuts and seeds. Like a lot of people my age, I put a lot of money in nuts and seeds. You can't go wrong when the winter comes. But the idea of diversifying it into art. I think is, is very intriguing to me and, you know, it's and very tangible. So if you're as interested in, as I am in building an intelligent portfolio, go to masterworks.art slash omnibus. That's masterworks.art slash omnibus. And, uh, and check out this like super curious and cool new way to invest and diversify your portfolio. That's masterworks.art slash omnibus. Of all these odd games, we're going to tell the story of the short-lived Goodwill games. Um, the Olympics were in crisis long before 2022, John. In December 1979, we all remember where we were when the Soviets invaded Afghanistan. Yep. Uh, it's we're not well remembered now, but a lot of the initial response uh, you know, because the Moscow Olympics was coming up in six months. A lot of the initial response was, well, we must cancel or postpone the Olympics. We need to use this as a bargaining chip. We need to try to get the Olympics out of Moscow. We're always trying to sanction the Russians when they invade a neighboring country. <laughs> <laughs> it's what we love to do. Because we're always afraid of confronting them with with arms because they're, you know, they're the baddies. Do you think in 1979 there were a bunch of TV hosts who were like, no fly zone over Kabul. I mean, it's so it's so tricky because we were only five years out of Vietnam, yeah. 
and hard to hard to stand on our high horse about it. But uh, but I remember it so clearly. We were excited about the the 1980 games because the 76 games were about the biggest thing that had happened. I mean, I I was eight years old and couldn't have been more glued to the TV through the 76 games. So the 80 games were coming. And, and it was the 80 just games like, were a result of the 70s era detente, you know, kind of a cultural thawing between the East and the West. So this was a hopeful moment. Yeah, we were going to have this this big, you know, um, I mean, we were, it was the Olympic games where we were going up against the our chief rivals. And they'd been already been, they'd already announced kind of a tit for tat games in Los Angeles, the following uh, yeah. Olympiad four years later. This was going to be good. And then it all went to hell. Because of. Afghanistan. Well, don't blame them. Well, no, I mean Afghanistan is the is the shoal against which all empires crash. Against which Andre Gromico <laughs> crashes. Um, in the end, predictably, Jimmy Carter chooses the symbolic no fly zone of boycotting the eighty games. It's my one complaint with the Carter administration. We should have gone, we should have gone to the Moscow games. I celebrate their entire catalog, but I feel like the Olympic games should be sacrosanct. I like how there's a they to you. Not it's yeah. not just Carter, it's No, it's, it's Fritz Brzezinski. Mondale, Cyrus Vance, it's a big new Brzezinski. <laughs> <laughs> the uh not the whole interestingly not everybody boycotted. I mean, a couple other big allies did. Canada, West Germany, Japan. Suck-ups. Many, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the ones who needed those favorable trade uh, deals, I guess. At that point, West Germany and Japan had a lot of American military bases still. That's right. And of course, in 1984, the Soviets cited unspecified security concerns and did their own retaliatory boycott of our Olympics, even though we had not invaded any Central Asian powers. We'd barely invaded Grenada, John. They were, they were afraid of East L.A., I think. <laughs> you think that's what it was? Compton. Security concerns being, it's always code for racism. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. But it was this perfect storm of these two years where the Olympics had been given for the first time in decades to the Russians and the Americans, the superpowers, and both got screwed up. There was a, so there was an interregnum, as we say, of almost 12 years where the two greatest, uh, dominant sports countries, athletic powers had not faced off Head to head, and it was terrible for the Olympics, terrible for their prestige and their ratings. Um, it was even bad for the countries involved. Like East Germany had already announced at the time our story begins that they were not going to boycott in '88, no matter what the uh, Moscow told them, because they were their own man and they had a massive steroid machinery that they were not going to see wrecked by by uh, you know superpower posturing. Right? They were principled in 1988. Who would have thunk? That East Germany even even had a year left of being a country. Honecker was still walking tall, his chest puffed out with pride. But if you remember at this time, there was a lot of, oh no, the Seoul Olympics, you know, which superpower is going to like throw a temper tantrum about this one. And into this uh, arena of uh, tension and sadness and possibly, is the, could this be the end of the Olympics in global sport? Steps a man, a mustachioed man Tell named, me more. named Ted Stalin? Turner. Oh, even better. <laughs> <laughs> Steps the ghost of Joseph Stalin. <laughs> it's Ted Turner, who at the time was at the peak of his game, right? Yeah. Um, was he yet married to Jane Fonda? He was, I believe. I mean, I think for a while they were partners. When did Ted Turner marry? I thought you were going to say Jane partiers, Fonda. and I was going to go, yes, they were. They did not marry until 1991, but I think they were a couple through much of the 80s, right? That's my memory mm -hmm, of it. Mm -hmm. 
And which makes which makes this whole thing crazier because uh, future we need to explain to futurelings that we're now living in an age of these kind of uh, Bond villain billionaires who who all have a global scheme. You're talking about now, now, yeah, in our time in 2022. All have a scheme to escape the globe. They all have their doomsdays <laughs> in New Zealand, but also they all have global concerns, right? right? Even the the so called good ones, your Gateses and your Buffets. Um, for centuries, that is not how rich people acted. Rich people. Um, generally it was like smaller time cranks and ministers who got really into vegetarianism or world peace or whatever it was. The rich just wanted to have their names on a lot of libraries and dormitories here, here. Um, and Ted Turner is really where that changes. Uh, politically he's a little hard to pin down. He was a young Republican as a kid, but the older he got, the more he got concerned with, um, the more money he got, the more he, I think he kind of realized that. With a rich man's ego comes big global concerns, and that meant things that traditionally would be associated with the left, the environment, the Amazon rainforest, uh, nuclear power, nuclear uh, weapons, and the threat they pose. When did CNN debut? CNN went on the air on June 1st, 1980, and, and uh, this is when Ted Turner becomes a global figure because he is very much for almost a decade a regional big man the equivalent of a car dealership guy. He was an Atlanta radio magnet who decided the future was, and I think we could all agree, UHF stations. Here, here. He branched out at UHF feeling that as people wanted more and more TV options, Channel 26 was going to be viable, you mm-hmm. know, and as long as you had content to show on it. And uh, he actually bought rights to the Atlanta Braves and the Atlanta Hawks so he would have something to show. And then he bought the Atlanta Braves and the Atlanta Hawks so he would have something to show on his little TV channels. And in 1976, the watershed moment, he gets the FCC to approve his use of uh, satellite technology okay. for his little Atlanta area UHF network. And suddenly he can start offering this programming, which tends to be sitcom reruns and Braves games, to stations all over the country. This is TBS. This becomes the Superstation TBS. And there were some super stations out of New Jersey, right? W-O-R? I guess that was a radio station. WGN in Chicago. But I believe this all follows Turner's uh, uh, brainstorm that a small local UHF guy can leverage this new satellite tech. There was one in Boston. Um, We've talked about this on the Omnibus before, and I can't remember which show it was. It was Zoom. Zoom, 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 zoom. We actually never did a show about Zoom. We just talk oh, about it. We should talk about Zoom. We should do Zoom for sure. Uh, maybe it was the 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 Mexican goat glands radio magnet. Is that yeah, what we did? Okay, it? maybe. I can't remember. Anyway, as his aspirations grow, as he starts to become a, a national, international figure, he decides there's an audience for a you know satellite gives you real time. It's insane that people are still getting their their news twice a day when. Um, a paper gets thrown against their door or Walter Cronkite deans to tell them something. Not quite insane. Thinking back. Do you think it, <laughs> I feel it, like it turned out to be the one thing keeping us sane. That's all you need. Really? The news once a day. It's better, right? Do you think well, we should bring this back? Let's pick a time of day. You're still going to get your news from your phone, but let's pick a time of day. When you look, when everybody looks, everybody looks at once at, you don't want to compete with the olds watching the national newscast. You want to beat them. So before the nightly news, Maybe the the hour that a paper boy would have thrown you a paper. Here's my question to you. If you wake up in the morning and look at the news first thing, does that make your day better or worse? Worse every day. Worse every day. Today I found out Bruce Willis has aphasia. No. I went I went to bed last night not even worried that Bruce Willis might have aphasia. Oh dear. And today, 
It's no, making me feel bad. And just and things I would not even known about, you know, like some Ohio Supreme Court decision that's going to screw up redistricting. Never would have even known about it five or ten years ago. Right. Today, it just makes me sad for a week because I know what that'll do to the House representatives. I woke up this morning and Yahoo News wanted me to vote on whether I, uh, on, on which person I wanted to host Jeopardy. And I tried to vote. For mine, Bialik, several I, times. I'm not going to reveal my vote. It's a, it's a secret ballot. <laughs> I tried to vote, and then Yahoo News was like, just enter your email address, and uh, we'll count your vote. And I was like, this is all, this isn't news. Why does it have news in the name? This is just more. A lot of it still is hard news, but it's just, yeah. it's just, it's day ruining to have it all in real time. But Ted Turner thought, let's give it to everyone in real time. And uh, do you remember the first time you saw uh, CNN? Yeah, I do. It was headline news, actually. Headline news, yeah. right? With David Goodnow, I I can name the anchor. Yeah, I think he passed away a few years ago. Re- and it I was re- and it was a big deal where I was in South Korea, particularly because we really were getting like canned news from staff sergeants in uniform with a with a journalism or broadcasting degree, probably <laughs> or or not, <laughs> just kind of struggling their way through prompter. Uh, and then local East Asian weather. So it was a big deal to actually have graphics and Chiron and real-time updates. And it was I think it was a big deal in the U.S. too, although not for the same weird reasons. Uh, the CNN came on the air in June 1st, 1980, and Ted Turner becomes a global figure. And he's also, because he's also interested in the sports world, you know, he's bought the Braves and the Hawks, just have something to show on his... TV, TV station, and he's he he's a he's a big uh, he's a big deal in Atlanta. He's like uh, he's like Cal Worthington, uh, except right. except he has his own station, right? He, like he's a he's a big wheel there. Think how big it would weird to be, be today, by the way, if CNN, the big globalist news outlet that you know probably crazies don't trust, is also owned by the husband of the most hated figure on one side of the political spectrum for like the guy's literally taking Jane Fonda to the Oscars every year. And she sat and he, on a cannon in North she Vietnam. Sat on a ten, yeah. It, it would like today it would be like, you know, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez's hypothetical husband, uh, founds a, right. Owns the New York Yankees. No, like founds a news outlet. Oh, but back then there was very little, um, Maybe because it was such an incremental thing, there was very little sense that the news CNN was super is the fake, biased. CNN is the fake news, yeah. you know? I mean, there is today for sure. Well, but. again, because cranks and crackpots didn't have their own way of communicating. They just had their little mimeographed zines, yeah, they, and everything was better. They went back to work in the morning and, and yelled at the water cooler, and, and, uh, and the world got on with it. This is also an era, I think, to provide a little context of... Uh, of specifically rich people thinking that the sports institutions of the time should be challenged. Huh? Um, that the NFL and the NBA and hockey should not have their monopolies, for example. And that's how you get the AFL in the sixties, the ABA in 1967, the world hockey association in the, in the middle late seventies. This was r- what rich people wanted. Cause they have very different needs now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was an, it was an ego thing. I mean, I see. I mean, I'm not, I'm, somebody's got to bankroll these things. And Donald Trump owned a USFL team in the early 80s. You know, this was a, we're kind of getting into the era of, well, why don't you buy a, why don't you buy a real sports team? Oh, because nobody, it's not like just any billionaire could buy a major league baseball team. Who can, 
who can stand up to the NFL or these sports powerhouses? You know, it's going to take. Apparently, these guys from Oklahoma City can stand up to the NBA, take our beloved, uh, whatever they were called, <laughs> the Sonics. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Name for the band, probably. Uh, the, uh, so there's, there's precedent at this point for private citizens saying, you know what? There shouldn't just be one hockey league. There should be us too. Is is Amazon singing to you? Amazon, that just means you got a delivery, right? I guess so. Why did it do Amazon sings? Maybe you got three deliveries. (laughs) Three, three deliveries all at once. I hate technology. So in this world where... We're standing up to sports monopolies. Why should there just be one Olympics, John? Why should the Olympics get all the glory? Because it's in the very it's idea. Ancient. It's ancient and iconic. Well, it's just there. You have one thing where the countries compete. Otherwise, it becomes diffuse enough that nothing matters, right? right? If Except that, as we've said, there are dozens of these other things. Like, why even are there a Golden Globes? <laughs> like, what are the glo- Golden Globes? Now, you you will know this. What are the Golden Globes that are not the Oscars? What about them is not encompassed by the Oscars? Uh, they, they also give TV awards. So I think oh. they can say, oh, we're actually for multiple media. I see. We're the Oscars and the Emmys. But really, it's... They just got a TV deal, and that made them look prestigious, and they were the last one. They scheduled themselves right before the Oscars, so they're kind of like the Iowa primary of the Oscars. Right, right, right. The Iowa caucus, which makes them seem important for prognosticators. And But it, the fact is, it was just it was always the Hollywood Foreign Critics Association, like a very small group of, you know, 58 randos kind of picking Oscar frontrunners, and it made no sense. You could have, you could have EGOT... Have two extra Gs for a Golden Globe. Got or that could replace the Grammy. You know, kind of an egot asterisk for people who don't get the Grammy. Listen, no, <laughs> the Grammy is like the tentpole of an egot. Um, you should look at the list of people who have Grammys. Well, the thing is, it's an Oscar. I've been nominated for a Grammy. If that tells you how di- how diffuse it is, I know how dingaling it is because I have three or four friends that have uh, best packaging Grammys, but <laughs> but. Uh, but you know, an Emmy, a, 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 a Oscar, and a Tony are all acting awards. So you need the Grammy to to have it be diverse at all. That's true. I mean, Tony has singing in it, but often, sometimes. Ted, what Ted Turner tells the world is: Look, it doesn't make sense for there to be only one of these every four years. Sure, in 1908, it would take the world's best athletes. Four years to get there by ship. Exactly, because they're all white men from Western Europe. They all have to take a, a tramp steamer and then get on a uh, some kind of a locomotive to get to St. Louis. Um, it doesn't make sense anymore. In a, in a global satellite age, there could be an Olympics-like event every two years. There's got to be an appetite for it. And you know what? I have the TV stations that will have to air it. So And, uh, and this is a time when the Olympics seem like they might have taken a serious enough hit right. that the goodwill games, as he announces them to be called, could take center stage. Now, were the Olympics a for-profit uh, enterprise? No. I mean... But the goodwill games... It's up to the individual cities and committees. But the good, goodwill games were going to be owned by, by a person. They're of co-venture between Ted Turner's own TBS... And his Soviet partners, he gets, oh. he makes 
you know, he makes uh, diplomatic inquiries of the Soviet government, and they are happy to stick it to the Olympic movement at this point. Sure. Um, so he gets a deal with Gostel Radio, the Soviet broadcasting apparatus, and Soyuz Sport, their big um, sports sporting federation, athletic federation. And he announces a partnership that will have, for the first time in 12 years, American and Soviet athletes will face off, and the whole world, something the Olympics have not been able to deliver since Montreal. And how did Ronald Reagan feel about it? Ronald Reagan refuses to allow... I mean, it's it's tricky how people react to this, because the Soviets are very gung-ho about it. So even the IOC, watching this competitor... Stand up, you know, Juan Antonio Samarang himself cannot say, these are dingbats, don't you dare come for the Olympics. He has to, he has to placate the Soviets, because he needs them in 88. Right. So he has to say, oh great, you guys are having these games. And Turner decides to host his inaugural games in Moscow, which makes it a little touchy for a, for a Reagan evil empire spouting administration. You know, this does seem a little off-putting. And there are conspiracy theories, you know, about... Come you know, on, tell like, them oh, what conspiracy theories can. And not just on the right, but, you know, big papers are running editorials calling Ted Turner a pawn of the Kremlin okay. for giving international communism uh, a, a, a stage on the American TV dial. Right. You can see how this would play out. I mean, the, the U.S. government, I don't think, officially does anything to discourage these games because that would be a bad look because this right. is kind of a hands across the sea. We're going to release doves. I mean, the opening ceremonies have a tribute to Samantha Smith, for crying out loud. But you could see how a typical American teenager watching the Soviet shot putters might think, Marxism. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, if, if capitalism is so superior, yeah. why aren't our roided-out athletes <laughs> able to hurl a discus or hammer that far? <laughs> That's a fair point. Um, but Turner says... No, like this is, you know, this is actually going to be the the olive branch that ends the Cold War. You really ought to see my relations with the Soviets, he says. It's it's funny how much he sounds like Trump. It would blow your mind. I'm going to have a meeting with Gorbachev, probably. Whoa, probably. This is funny. <laughs> and you can totally read this in Trump's voice. This, this yeah. is billionaire on suddenly on the world stage voice, uh, except Turner's an actual, you know, centimillionaire or whatever at this time. Um. And all the big stars... Oh, sorry, I didn't say what the actual thing the Reagan administration did, which is they did not allow military athletes to compete. They oh. were like, this is not the Olympics. Is that normally a thing? Yeah, um, a lot of U.S. boxers, you know, a, oh. a lot of U.S. sports have people who have come up through these military gaming, and particularly then when it was all athle- uh, amateur athletics. Sure. The military had a huge infrastructure for that, right? And as we know, the, the Soviet uh, military fields some pretty formidable boxers. All these Ivan Drago looking guys. Nikolai Volkov's playing the Volga boatman before their match starts. Probably an Iranian (laughs) guy in their corner. Um, So Reagan does not, and these military guys had always been able to box or whatever it is in the Olympics. But Reagan said, no, this is a for-profit thing. A kind of thing you don't normally hear from a Republican administration. This for-profit venture is not good. (laughs) But that's because most of these for-profit guys are not dating Jane Fonda, right? Uh, So there's a big... Uh, to do at Lenin Stadium in Moscow, which um, gets aired all over the world, including on the Superstation, TBS. Uh, they reenact, they get the three, and the theme is world peace. There's a tribute to the recently killed Samantha Smith, the little girl we've talked about in Omnibus who wrote the letter to, uh, I think, Andropov. Mm-hmm. 
there's a cauldron and not a torch, so it's kind of a Ooh, off a little witchy. Off brand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're summoning kind of Wicca spirits of uh-huh. peace and goodwill. <laughs> and the big the big kind of center stage is they get the astronauts and cosmonauts from the 1975 Apollo Soyuz oh, uh, link up. How Fun. To enter the field and link up again symbolically. They come from one side of the field and the other? Making beeping noises. (laughs) (laughs) They have to say before they talk to the crowd. (laughs) That's uh, Roger. Uh, So the theme is very much what if 70s era detente could continue into the mid 80s despite... The Rambo. rhetoric from Reagan and and Andropov and Gromyko. And crucially, as I've alluded to before, by this time, Gorbachev is now general secretary. And he's this is now a younger, more vibrant, forward-looking Kremlin. It's not clear yet what's going to happen. But, but Reza Gorbachev, am I right? Oh, baby. Reza <laughs> Gorbachev in the stands, maybe showing a little leg. Uh-huh. I don't know. We we should do a show about the uh, the Nancy Reagan Reza Gorbachev dynamic that Sh- shoulder pad that, off that, that single handedly <laughs> ended the Cold War. <laughs> both both of these leaders had kind of glamorous, fashionable wives for the first time in a long time in both countries. When you think about Pat Nixon and Brezhnev's wife, um, yeah, right. Although you know, uh, um, you're going to defend Rosalind Carter, and that's I fine. Am. Rosalind had a had a homespun charm. She's a cute, she's a cute Southern belle. Mm-hmm. Who could deny it? Um, but she wasn't wearing um, Oscar de la Renta. No, or true. Whatever. That's exactly right. You know, no, nobody was worried about what Bob Mackie fashion uh, Betty Ford was going to was going to be wearing. Um, so uh, between, I'm gonna, I'm just googling Rosalind Carter sexy. You know, you can of always, cor- of course, you are because it's 12:30 on a Wednesday, and that's what you always do. If you put the word sexy at the end of googling any person, you get really cool pictures. It does keep feet from auto adding, which is. <laughs> <laughs> which is what I always try to avoid. Um, so there's 129 hours of this broadcast in the U.S. on 62 stations. All the big names are there. Carl Lewis, Edwin Moses, Jackie Joyner, I think sets a record in the heptathlon, beating her Olympic record. Really? Yeah. D- does uh, does Muhammad Ali appear at any point? <laughs> no. <laughs> Muhammad Ali does not appear. But all the big Soviets are there, too. Sergei Bubka, you know, all the guys who were you know just kings of their sport as well. Um, this, this is the leotard era. Yes. Yes. All athletes. Do you remember? Do you remember Flojo and Jackie Jonah Kersey wearing some crazy designer? Yeah. Space age next gen fabric leotard. It was a. It was a big cool thing. Big deal. And the Soviet men also. Uh, but despite all, despite the massive uh, outpouring of of Ted Turner's personal fortune, fewer than one million viewers. What? See really? any of this? No. I mean, I was. I was in my senior year of high school. We had cable TV, and it was a big deal because all, all all the ads nonstop on all of Turner's networks. It was it was um, uh, you know TBS and and CNN. They were they were huge parts of my high school viewing, and I did not see a single moment of the Moscow Goodwill Games. I'm, I don't think. I think America can sense a Pepsi. I see. You know, we're like hmm. But Ted Turner the was Olympic, in all the newspapers then. We've got the Olympics at home. But I don't think I ever was like a Ted Turner acolyte. I always felt a little bit like, hmm. Because of the mustache? I don't know. He just, he, had, the, James. he had this uh, he had this Elon Musk vibe where it was right. like, I don't know about you. And he was the first of those guys. I think without Turner, we don't get even the good Gates and Buffett's doing their giving pledge and whatever. You know, billionaires who think they can save X where X is 
the Amazon or right. the automotive industry or, or whatever it is. Um, but Turner is undeterred and he goes on to hold four more of these things every four years, um, in off years from the Olympics. This later gets screwed up in the mid nineties when the Olympics decide to try to save the winter Olympics by taking Avery Brundage's seventies era suggestion of moving the winter Olympics to the non quadrennial years, which I also think is bad. <gasps> Why? I think the Olympics should be every four years. Just to make the winter math easier? in the winter and summer in the summer. They do come too often now, yeah. right? It's sort of like, oh, oh, it's another Olympics. It just feels like it, it, it was a special event every four years, which is exactly the amount of time. It's kind of like a pop song should be thirty or three minutes long, and um, Supreme Court justices should be appointed for life. And no oh, matter <laughs> what, no matter what there was, say or there do. should only be fifty senators. And the Olympics should be every four years. It does. It's kind of a throwback to this international geophysical year idea where it's like 1968 is the year of, and guess what? There's going to be a winter Olympics in here and a summer Olympics in Mexico city. And now it's much more like every time you turn around, there's an Olympics coming. And the only question is, is it a, the good kind or the, or the curling kind? So they, so Ted Turner did the same thing, split it up. And then now it was every two years instead of four. No, interestingly, in the 1990 Seattle games, he realized that there were winter games that were a draw. So he decided to have some of them too. The 1990 um, Goodwill Games awarded to Seattle, but also Spokane and Tacoma, um, had ice skating in addition to all the hoopla with, you know, especially swimming, Matt Biondi and Janet Evans trying to reclaim, recover their, or, um, reenact their soul era glory, Oscar De La Hoya, boxing, you know, all the big names. Do you know where the opening ceremonies were? Do you remember? Well, no, because 1990 was a weird year for me. I'd left Gonzaga in 89, so I wasn't in Spokane anymore. And I like, I don't know, I spent that whole year hitchhiking around America. I wasn't anywhere. Where would you guess that they would hold the opening ceremonies in 1990? Pike Place Market? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Like, did they throw throw a fish through a hoop and that was how the game started? Oh, my mistake. They did not even call it an opening ceremony. I think by this time they were scaling down and this was going to be a welcome, just so people didn't have the idea that it would have all the pomp and pageantry of an Olympics opening. So it was like at Terminal A in the airport? It was at Husky Stadium. Really? Husky Stadium? Yeah, was this before or after Husky Stadium collapsed on itself? Ooh, when was that? So Husky Stadium collapsed in 1987. So this was only... This would have been three years after the rebuild. Three years after the... And the kingdom was not yet starting to collapse on people in 1990? Uh, we're getting close. Well, yeah, we're, we're getting right. close. The tiles weren't falling on people, killing them. The tiles are, are maybe hanging as if from <laughs> pieces of chewing gum uh-huh. at this point. I definitely uh, think that perspiration was dripping from them mixed with cigarette smoke. So at these welcome ceremonies, you know, much less pageantry than the Russian version, now that it's clear that, you know, a few hundred thousand Americans tops are going to watch this. They did get, the big guest was, um, instead of fish through a hoop, it was kind of a Native American tribes theme. No less than Billy Mills brought in a talking stick on which President Bush and Gorbachev, or uh, yeah, it would have been Gorbachev, had both written messages of peace. If you remember the Native American tradition of, of passing hold, the talking stick, hold, holding a stick to, to speak. Yep. Do you do you know who Billy Mills is? The the movie Running Brave, yep. starring a very not Indian uh, uh, Robbie Benson from yep. Ice Castles. <laughs> right. <laughs> Nobody talks about how uh, maybe Robbie Benson should not have blue eyed Robbie Benson should not have played Billy Mills. But I'm going to be the first to cancel. Should have been Robbie C. Thomas Benson. Howell. <laughs> Replace Robbie Benson in Beauty and the Beast, America. And again, there was ice skating. 
because I, I think there was a big rivalry at this time. All the big Russian skaters, Kurt Browning, Christy Yamaguchi, Turner thought maybe that would give him some, and he wouldn't be competing against, um, you know, an, an Olympics because they could even the Olympics should not bring together a marathon and figure skating that took Ted Turner. But the ratings sadly stayed low, and that was true again for the 1994 Goodwill Games that Yeltsin opened in St. Petersburg. The idea was to ping pong between the East and the West, I think. But the 1998 in New York City. But the problem is, of course, by the Seattle Games, the Goodwill Games have lost their uh, their raison d'etre. They're, oh, because the right there's no Soviets anymore. Tragically, world Marxist-Leninism has collapsed, oh, no. leaving only Cuba and North Korea behind to carry the torch, as it were. Jiminy Christmas. So there really is no um, East versus West. Uh, bonding that Ted Turner can bring to the table here. Uh, and as a result, the 2002 games are in Brisbane, Australia, just in kind of an attempt to do something different. And also they get postponed till 2003, maybe to avoid a year in which there's a summer or a winter games. Um, by this time, the Goodwill games, which never really had their way, had, had lost it. Uh, they have lost probably about $150 million total. Oof. for Ted Turner's media empire over this time. And even worse, in 1996, he has sold Turner Media to Time Warner. And he talks a good game. Ted Turner says, you know what? The Goodwill Games are my baby. In fact, he takes credit for ending the Cold War. He says, you know, do you think it's a coincidence that the Berlin <laughs> Wall fell just a mere three years after the Moscow Goodwill Games? So he publicly takes credit. for, mm-hmm. uh, for- there, He does. He's responsible. Yes. His detente. His javelin throwing and archery competition and badminton games have led to the end of uh, of the Cold War. And he says he's going to keep bankrolling them indefinitely, even if Time Warner doesn't hold up their end of the deal. Um, in fact, after the Brisbane games, Time Warner announces that they are going to, they euphemistically say they're going to put their sporting resources, world sporting resources into different avenues. And Ted Turner does not step forward and decide to keep <laughs> to keep bankrolling a money hemorrhaging uh, ego trip, um, and thus ends the an idea that was born too late. Yeah, you know, a, a Goodwill Games around the time of the of the first boycott may might have gotten a good head of steam, especially if the Soviets had picked that over the the LA Games in '84. But by 86... But even then, I mean, that would have seemed... I think I think starting a Goodwill Games then would have felt like very unpatriotic. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and also, maybe it's just a Pepsi in any generation. I mean, he tried this in the Pepsi generation and it didn't work. Maybe maybe Americans are always suspicious of, uh, of the off-brand thing because it just seemed... You know, we say we like an underdog, but really, do we? We like Levi's and... And Springsteen and and Coke and and you know Ted Turner bought a wrestling and despite all his high minded, um, this is going to end the Cold War. I mean, this is a guy who needs sports because he needs something to show on TV. You know, he buys a wrestling federation to compete with Vince McMahon around this same time, and he buys essentially he buys an Olympic committee to compete with Juan Antonio Samaranch. You know, this is this is a guy who likes sports and is looking for a. Looking for a, a winner. I mean, for me, it comes down to like if you like boycotting the Olympics in eighty was was 
mealy-mouthed in the same way that, like, if the United Nations is to function, right. we have to stick th- stick with it. You don't walk out of the Security Council. That's right, through thick and thin. And you try to reform it, and there are always going to be people that say, well, you can't reform it. It's beyond reformation. Um, but that is, that's defeatist, and it and it's so easy to to lose confidence in globalism, the good side of globalism, which is not to say like, let's close these factories and make stuff in a dumb place. But these things that, that, that maybe idealistically are trying to unite to bring about a new order of one world government, a new order of one world government run by banks that are not headquartered under the North pole, not by banks. (laughs) By the Federation of Planets headquartered in San Francisco. This is a sunny version of this. Okay, okay, good, good, good. But I just don't think, I think you, as soon as we boycotted the Olympics, the whole idea was was forever... Um, Tainted. Yeah, just hobbled. And it, it doesn't feel like, I don't know. I mean, if you think about 1980, right, the, new, the winter games in Lake Placid went ahead. Do you and, know the conspiracy theory that the Soviets lost the hockey uh, match on purpose in order to try to deter Carter from boycotting. Really? Yeah. I mean, you know, that... that I, I don't believe this for a second, but this is a common sports conspiracy theory. That hockey victory was, you know, and still is, uh, like a moment High where... High watermark for the Cold War. Well, in the sense that America... All the nuclear proliferation <laughs> was worth it, because we got that. America got to be the underdog in that competition, that, like, scrappy underdogs that and it's the only the only place in the world that America could have posited itself as a as the underdog in a competition, and and yet we got to feel that whole the pride is back. I guess I take it back. We we do like an underdog when it flatters us. Yeah, right. But but also we like the big fancy brand. I think this is just the generic food show again. Yeah, we want the underdog to be South Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. The ultimate irony is that today there is an Olympic stadium named for the great enemy of the Olympics, Ted Turner himself. Where? Uh, in Atlanta. The Atla- oh. a- Atlanta Olympic Stadium is now the site of Turner Field, um, you know, named because of his ownership of the Braves. It's are just- the Braves still called the Braves? They're the, are they the last of the Mohicans? <laughs> <laughs> The Braves are still called the Braves. They have not, they have not changed. And I wonder if there's some kind of They're n- they haven't changed their name to the Atlanta baseball team. I mean, they got rid of the Tomahawks and oh, whatnot. Okay, but uh, that's true. Um, I think. Let's see. Wait, is Turner Field? Turner Field is, I think, where the um, yeah Turner Field. I think is on the site of where the parking lot was for the Olympic Stadium after oh, after see. the Braves left for the suburbs. I see. Um, but yeah, Ted Turner outlasted, uh, not only did he outlast the uh, Olympics crisis, he got his name on the building. Gorbachev's still alive, too. Do you might, think they, might be a race to the finish. Do you think they hang out? Do you think t- to this day, Turner's like, eh, I'm still going to hang out with Gorbachev, probably. <laughs> probably. And that concludes the Goodwill Games. Entry 539.EP0607. Certificate number 21182. In the omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram archive our tweets at at Omnibus Project. They archive Ken's tweets at Ken Jennings. 
and they archive some selection of my tweets at John Roderick. They're only the best tweets. You can email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. You can hang out with other futurelings uh, by Googling the word futurelings. It will almost certainly pull up omnibus fans, and you can socialize with them on TikTok and Telegraph and Telegraph, uh, Spark, CNN Headline News, and uh, and Kaburp, <laughs> and all the other social media spots uh, that are trying to replace Twitter. You can support the show, and this show was a uh, a Patreon supporter choice. At at, at which level is the uh, is the suggestion show sh- suggestion? That's level? A, uh, Jack gave it the washing bear the tier, washing bear tier for six months, and was able to to uh, send us a list of ideas for shows, all, all of which I liked, but I like the Goodwill games most of all. So go to patreon.com slash omnibra... Uh, go to patreon.com slash omnibusproject and uh, join the legion of futurelings who are supporting the show. If the show means something to you, uh, that's how you show your support. And you can send us mail, actual mail. We're recording the show today. Uh, the table here is topped by a... Uh, kind of uh, super cool spongy game board top that was given to us yeah, by an Omnibus fan. Are we going to shoot craps later? Uh, it's a, it does. It feels it's per, it fits this table perfectly, and it really feels um, like we are playing high stakes poker here, which we are. Uh, you can send things to us at PO Box five five seven four four Shoreline Washington nine eight one five five. It looks like you've got some mail there, Ken. Yeah, Mindy hit the mailbox this week. Uh, I don't know if this counts as omnibus mail because I think it's only addressed to me. But I do get mm. to bring a plus one, so I guess we could both come to to Nathan and Carly's wedding. Oh, by the time this airs, it happened in late May. Oh, where where was the uh, wedding? Newmarket, Ontario. Oh, do you want to go to a Canadian wedding? They're trying to. Uh, they're trying to. Win you over to the Canadian side. That's true. Uh, and vaccinations are required. Or at least um, they were. Oh, if we wish to give a gift, we will gratefully accept a small contribution. Should we send them a, should we send them a wedding present, John? Yeah, we should send them some of my dad's uh, ski gold medals. That's what they're going to get. <laughs> Congratulations on your special day, Nathan and Carly. We also got a postcard from Ranger Michael at Glacier Bay National Park. Okay. I mean, Michael appears to be writing us from Maine, but I guess during the summers... He works at Glacier Bay. He works in Alaska. Or, I'm sorry, not Glacier Bay, Glacier National Park. Oh, no, Glacier Bay National Park. There's both. Isn't Glacier Bay in Alaska? Yeah, but it's a national park. Oh, so he works at Glacier Bay. He works Bay. at the Alaskan one. Oh, yes, good. Okay. Uh, maybe it's like a, maybe it's a franchise. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, they have them in Brazil. They have them throughout South America, different Glacier National Parks. The uh, He just listened to the nudie suits and Trini sent us a postcard. Showing country and western star Kid Cantwell in front of his famous Pontiac, uh, wearing an amazing nudie suit, and I guess his Pontiac is famous because it's encrusted with six thousand silver dollars and twelve solid silver Winchester rifles, which makes it the heaviest Pontiac ever driven. Wow, the what heaviest a, what Pontiac. a record! Wouldn't you love to be in the Guinness Book for owning the world's heaviest Pontiac? Kind of would. I think I'm going to put thirteen solid silver Winchester rifles on my. Pontiac just to piss off this guy. He's got a beautiful blue nudie, though. It's fantastic. Thank you for sending that, Michael. If we're in Glacier Bay, we'll look you up. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long this era of our civilization survived. 
We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come, but if the worst comes soon, this time capsule recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. <laughs>